welcome to Keyframes Podcast, a podcast about anime. With me today, fuck, dick. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Keyframes Podcast, a podcast about anime. I'm not your host, Ben Halliburton. I'm in actual fact your host, Andrew Ray. And with me today is uh, Duncan. Hello. And Jeff. Yellow. Ben, unfortunately, is taken a, a slight break this week. A first, because I don't think he's on this episode. And the first time he's not been on a canonical keyframes episode. Um, but we in the true timeline know that uh, <laughs> Ben has uh, had m- multiple times when he's been missing. But like in the, in the, the canonical one, it's, mm, uh, mm. It's, it's, it's well acknowledged that by Ben fans or Ben or that the larger Ben Ben's, theory. Yeah, uh, Ben stands of this world. Mm. Um, <laughs> but we also know that Ben hasn't watched any anime this season. Let's, let's, let's face it, <laughs> not not the worst decision. Not the worst decision. Honestly, yeah, I can't blame him. Let's <laughs> swiftly move on to the first that we're talking about, Zom 100, which is, I think, on surface, one of the better series shows this season. It just got plagued with a lot of production values and yeah. production issues. I also feel the pacing was kind of a bit odd. There were some episodes that were really slow, other episodes that were really nicely paced. There were definitely weird things where they're like recycling zombie animations. There's the whole episode at the beginning of season episode two, I think, where there's a whole hostess club bit, which doesn't even feel like the same anime. It's like a completely different style. None of it really matches with the rest of the anime. I think it, I think it was just that this is what's going on next door. He's he's stuck in the Love Hotel and next door host club is is fighting off the, the zombies. It, it just felt weird. It, I don't know. It took me way, it took way too long to introduce the other main character, Beatrix. Like, she only appears in episode eight. It's fun. It's good. I, I enjoy all the comedy. All the jokes seem to land pretty well. Uh, and it's a quite refreshing take on the comedy, on the zombie genre. Kind of like the closest thing I guess we have to it is like Shaun of the Dead. Um, I mean, the thing is, I, I find it so hard to to judge this because it's been so disrupted in, in the way it's come out. Like, yeah. you guys both know, like, if you watch a show every week you process it in one way and if you watch it in one big go you process it in another and if you have big chunk and then a huge weight that's the that's the worst way to consume something that's that's always something which spoils even shows we like a lot and Mm. 100 is a show which has a lot to like about it it's got nice character design a vivid palette to it some good ideas but i really didn't feel like i got much progress out of them. They didn't really seem to grow as characters. They were still the same people they were when we first met them. I, I feel that Shizuka grew. I feel that Shizuka grew as a character. Like, she slowly opened up to Tendo. That's fair, actually. Yeah, that's fair. But it was this is, this is the thing. It felt like it was still very formulative. And I feel that a lot of that is just on the way nature that the manga is written, which is this is based off of, like, um, mm-hmm. a manga that has existed for a while. And you know that whole episode with the way the air hostesses that's like that's like four chapters of the manga um as opposed to one chapter of like the anime I thought that was one of the stronger episodes actually I, like i I thought that was a really strong episode i I also don't understand in this world how many fucking zombies are driving tra- trucks <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I feel that it was kind of a joke at this time at that point, but I was like. 
I mean, any other zombies driving, like, there's still zombies driving trucks. I mean, we, we do meet, in the latest little arc of episodes, we do see uh, what uh, the truck stops of the nation have become like. So it's, it's probably not surprising the zombies end up in, in driving a load of trucks, considering the idiots who were in charge there. Yeah, the, the Gonzo, the Gonzo sort of... Yeah, uh, his old boss. His old boss. I actually found that quite a heavy episode. Like, mm. this is the thing with... Zom 100 is there's some unexpected darkness that personally like an abusive boss like coming back into your life and uh his reaction to it i i really sympathize with that i was like i could i could see that maybe that's because my own personal um struggles with that situation in my life but if someone hasn't had a bad boss at some point in their life they are a very very lucky person like yeah but it's that um, manipulative like that um emotional manipulation yeah that the boss did that really hit home personally for me like yeah i i could totally sympathize with him which mm. i feel was rare for a, <laughs> for yeah. a, a main character and also for a storyline you don't really see that uh so i quite I quite valued. I thought that was very well done. Actually, I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, it was. And... It was good. They gave him a, a moment to regress, like yeah. to to slip back to his old self, and for it not to be just all clear sailing. Like, I later I'm going to talk about uh, jobless reincarnation and like how I think the moment you make someone uh, a bit more fallible, a bit more likely to fail. Uh, they become a lot more sympathetic, and I think Tendo uh, was was kind of for the first few episodes. Oh, he's free of his his past life. He's gonna just do whatever he wants, and it's all gonna work out fine. Everything mm. he, he 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 tries these dumb things, they all come out 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 exactly how he wants. And like putting on a, sh a shark suit to fight zombies, yeah, great idea, works fine. Even if you get ch change, chased by a giant uh, zombie jaws with human legs sticking out of it, which I did enjoy that design. That was a that was a fun yeah. fun fun zombie <laughs> monster a shark, which has swallowed divers, and the diver zombies are inside <laughs> it, and its little legs are going away. That that, that was good. That's a, that's a, that's a fun that was... fun bad guy. Um, yeah. And then then we meet the actual bad guy, his boss, and he he regresses. He goes back into his his shell, and he has to get kicked out of it um and by someone who who wouldn't have done that the if she was still the way uh she was when we first met her as, as you say like maybe she, uh, shizuka is is the one who had the most growth over these episodes like uh, i think like... so i think so i i and also as going back to production it is weird because yeah i've only had eight episodes and it looks like it's not gonna finished its airing of 12 until we're well into the yeah. mid of um next yes. season's anime mm -hmm. but i should say that i would prefer them to be honest and to delay production as opposed to working people to the bone or or making people you know overly st stretched out on their work life that that i feel is a it's not a a healthy way for the anime industry to continue yeah. or any industry. So I do welcome that. I'd, I'd rather them take breaks than to have a crappy production or to have anime shows that just dive and tank in quality. And it would be like sadly ironic if they made a show about escaping the horrible <laughs> yeah. daily grind of capitalism by working people to death to make it. <laughs> yeah, that would be the darkest uh, timeline indeed. Um, 
not the not, not the quite the commentary they were looking for. Um, yeah, they've introduced a Beatrix uh, in the last last ep- couple of episodes who does feel the most tropey of the 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 core quintet. Um, like I, I think Tendo and uh, Ken and Shizuku have some tropiness to them, but they mm-hmm. they tend to uh, rise above it. But so far, she has just been overly knowledgeable uh, gaijin girl, uh, which is fine. I love it. It's fine. I love it's, it. it's enjoyable, it, certainly. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not sure how many episodes you can get out of that. Um, I I had a weird problem where all of a sudden Akira can just fucking fight a bunch of zombies and not have a problem with it. Like that that last episode had a weird switch where he's like, oh, I'm just going to kill a bunch of zombies and, and not question it. I like Beatrix as a character. I think she's pretty great. Uh, she's exactly what she is on the tin. You look at that character and you're like, that's going to be a Gaijin Genki girl. And yeah, she was. And I loved it for, I loved her for it. Um, and I also loved the actual locations. The onsen they go to afterwards is Kasatsu Onsen. Kasatsu no Onsen. Uh, and it's a lovely place. I really recommend it. No zombies. Um, but no zombies, apart from if they're hiding in the in the hot springs. So I had a quick curiosity. I haven't seen the show at all. I, I think I might pick it up once it's actually finished. But is this like show secretly in the like the Agretzko genre of workplace growth only being done through the you know through the medium of zombies rather than cute animals? No. Nah, not really. No. Okay. I, I, I think like for Agretzko, who has to, you have to have the workplace to have the to have them grow from it, and like the workplace is just an oppressive thing which is abandoned fairly early in the first episode. Like you're you're shown the trauma he has, and then it's put behind us with with that as as Andy so enthused about, about last last time we t- we were talking about this like this this switch from uh, black and white to color from like this closed in screen to widescreen and like they, they do a, a, a wonderful job of of just going full technicolor uh, mm. to a life outside work um but if anything the- i would say that a theme would be sort of breaking your past bonds and like the idea that everybody has some, even uh, Ken Jansan has some past regrets and past uh, past trauma that he's trying to escape from or break or try to reflect on. They all have that. Um, and I feel like that's probably more of the theme that they're trying to get away, they're trying to build on as opposed to some sort of workplace drama comedy thing. Because okay. there is no workplace because they're zombies. Like, <laughs> and, you know, Shizuka's got um, her relationship with her father uh, that she's trying to break away from. And she sees Akira as a way to, or Tendo, the main character, as, as a way to um, break away, like to reflect on her father's actions and how she hated it and sees Akira as a sort of a, a, a ray of light um, and, and, a, and a way of viewing the world that isn't so black and white and isn't so negative. Um, Do you still and, think she's a, a member of a, a secret global conspiracy or have, have you f- fully ditched that that part, Andy? No, I think she is. She's de- like Her father is definitely part of something big because there's also that annoying thing where I, I, both K- 
Kenshiro and Shizuka have said this, where they're like, maybe you'll be able to 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 fix this zombie outbreak, Akira. And I'm like, no. No, please don't be about please don't be about solving stuff. I don't want it to be about solving stuff. I want it to be about yeah. just enjoying yeah. it like Zombieland, like just enjoying the the shit that you're in right now and making the best out of a bad situation. Yeah, so, um, so Zombieland is 100% the, the, the where you should go to when you're looking for the the western equivalent of this. Moving on to stuff that is a bit less good, Hulk. I watched four episodes of this and I which is more than I use. Like I only give four One episodes more to episode someone than you would normally. Give. <laughs> if, if if I if I if I get recommended it, if I get enthusiastically recommended it, yeah. like Duncan has enthusiastically recommended Hulk, uh, yeah, I give it four episodes, and I didn't I didn't like any of it. I'm sad. For me, the jokes weren't funny, and they didn't land. There's a bit of intrigue granted about why Hulk was trying to join, become a demon lord, but I felt that where I finished watching, which was him was he was Hulk and the evil minions were going to fight the humans that have then invaded the demon world, and and there was a th- there was a bit of in- there was some genuinely interesting conflict about is Hulk going to hit like help the humans or is he going to help the 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 demons, and then he kind of did both and then they mm-hmm. got trapped into a gem and went to a different fucking place and I'm like yeah okay we're not going to address this one yeah. interesting thread at all I mean, I'm done yeah I en- I ended up quite disappointed with this one I I feel like it lost its tempo completely like I I enjoyed the first couple of episodes because it was just like this parody of a tournament arc except just like there's no contest because this one guy's acing every everything and I f- I found okay you didn't find that funny I did like. You already know by now he's ridiculously strong. You already know by now he's got like an amazing like he's going to win everything. Like this isn't funny to me. For me, Andy, the the repetition was kind of the point, but for for you it was obviously a, a bad point. <laughs> but like it, it's like it's like some of the best sketches are just like the same same joke again and again, but in slightly different ways, like repeating the point in, to, into yeah, absurdity. Like, and for me, that's that's what it did. But for you, obviously, it was just like this isn't absurd enough. This is just like, yeah, and and it's and it's, but also like the reactions just aren't there. Like the thing about to another manga that is also going to be an anime in a couple of seasons' time that I know Jeff is a fan of. Uh, it is time for Torture Princess. Mm, yeah, has the same setup and joke. Pretty much every chapter, at least up till where I've read, which is about like the mid thirties. But the way that they deal with the reactions and the way that they deal with revealing the fact that the the secrets that she's giving are like really stupid about like the underwear, the king's pants, and now he wears green on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Like these are the funny jokes that are built in. Like you have a construct for a joke, and then you build into that construct the amusing bits, the stupid bits, the absurd bits, the great reactions. Like the princess's face every time she sees some delicious food and that is the thing that breaks her instead of the actual torture that you're expecting with like an Iron Maiden. No, she just gets like, that joke is funny. Mm-hmm. And then they build on that and they, they keep building on that joke to the point where I'm still enjoying it 30 chapters in, even though it is the same construct. That's, 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 that's fine, Andy. Is it, I, I just found it that the fact that you had Vermilio and her, her goon, her being like, Okay, we're gonna try this, and he'd be like, "Pretty sure that's not gonna work, but we'll try it anyway." And then trying it and it failing, and her being like, "No, damn it!" And him being like, "Well, I expected this." Uh, next, <laughs> and like for me, that works. Like, but I, I think like on the wider thing, like as you say, 
gestures at a, a, a bigger and more deep universe after that. What's Helk's motivation? Why does a human want to become king of the demons? Why are all his friends being transformed into like emotionless killers? And what has he gone through to gain all his power? But the problem is, it just is at these big menacing things in the background. But it also continues with this kind of corny humor, which you can juggle those two and it can work. Like, I think the first few arcs of Rank of Kings managed that. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. before that itself uh, just kind of just went off. Uh, yeah, when into one it, very long fight against an immortal person. Yeah, when you're unsure about the alliances and ranking of kings, it worked really well. Yeah, uh, it had it had real peril. Yeah, agreed. If we had the sense like there really was a chance uh, Helk might, uh, might betray Vermilio at any second, that would be good tension. But you you just don't get that. Maybe there's that is present in the manga but i don't think they've translated it to the anime the whole sort of not quite good cop bad cop but like uneasy alliance between two people is is just a a staple of of this sort of uh show like yeah is it just an alliance of convenience or is there like a, a genuine bond there and i think there's just never enough jeopardy here and it just mm -hmm. it's just like oh here's a big fight elk wins it and some of those they did in fairly amusing ways. Other times they, they were like, oh, this is a dramatic fight. But no, this one's a humorous fight. Dramatic, humorous, <laughs> dramatic, humorous. Yeah, yeah. Something like One Punch Man did well is that you could have a dramatic fight be humorous as well. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to do. And so because of that, it just kind of ends up meh, kind of all in the middle. No, no highs, no lows, just all all fives out of yeah. tens throughout. Yeah, I I kind of agree. Um also like mob one mob, right? Like that was an incredible incredible way of uh of showing both comedy, drama and tension with a character who is incredibly strong and you know is like the most powerful being. Mm -hmm. Um but mob does a really good job of making you want to care about that person. Yeah. I think like yeah, Mob is an interesting character because he he has absolutely no real limits to his power, but it's just him who his conscience is 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 the whole thing he's fighting against and accepting yeah. of of his powers etc. And like a, a an incredibly powerful um, protagonist can make a can be interesting, and we get a little bit of that this season with uh, jujitsu kaisen and uh, i was gonna say one one last thing about help real quick okay. um i have a friend who read the manga and apparently that's very good so there's clearly some good stuff in help but either the manga adaption the anime adaption doesn't get to what's interesting in the manga or uh the anime adaption just doesn't capture what's good about the anime the manga at all it could be a bit uh, of both quite quite easily unlike jujitsu kaisen which fucking nails it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jujutsu Kaisen, uh, what if Naruto was good? Like, <laughs> the best yeah. shonen fighting oh, no, show Jeff. that Someone exists. Someone started writing a, a comment even <laughs> now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> who, who would win in a fight between Itadori and Naruto? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the worst fights in the world or conversations are, who would win in a fight, Luffy or Bleach? It's like no one gives a fuck. Yeah. No, one gives a no, it's not. Being... <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask um, that. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I feel it's clearly the best thing this season, but it feels unfair for such a weak season to have something that's so clearly beautifully done 
a, a well curated craft, gorgeous animation, fantastic cast, amazing voice acting, great, uh, great action scenes, and like emotional, like emotional plot points that really fucking hit hard. It's great, and but this is also like completely unsurprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was. <laughs> I was having a a conversation on Twitter with um Evirus. Mm, yeah. Um and and he was saying like yeah it's the best thing and I was just like of course it's the best thing. It's like having a Arsenal play in a like seven aside fo- football team. It, <laughs> yeah, he's going to fucking destroy. But there's nothing else out this season that is nearly this level of goodness. Yeah, yeah, your 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 second meal at a, a three star Michelin restaurant is never going <laughs> to yeah. blow you away quite as much, despite it being objectively better than anything else that you've eaten in your life up to this point. <laughs> Which might be overstating JJK a little bit, but it's still pretty fucking good. It's really fucking good, and I the only problem I have is I knew what was happening at the end of a Shibuya arc. Because my friend ruined it for me. Mm. Uh, which is he which really is a I'm... friend in that case, Andy? Is he mm. really? Yeah, that's a good thing. I might if have he to ruins this, should be your arc of uh, JJK Fury. I think you need to reassess your your relationship. <laughs> There's clearly something going true. on there. <laughs> yeah, it... you, you and him might be like the Gojo uh, Getu uh, combo. Like, is he really your friend, or is he actually? Or is he is he a, is he a is he a monster who's a brain inside his head? Notes, spoilers for Jujutsu, etc. etc. Deep apologies yeah. to anyone who has been destroyed by that, as Andy has just complained about being destroyed himself. <laughs> I I would say that just just talking about the Shibuya arc real quick. So I don't have much to say on it apart from it was really fucking good. I mm. really felt for all the civilians in this arc more than I felt in like other shows where there's been like a lot of mass killings i really felt for every time a human died i was like shit and and that was part of the point you were meant to feel sat gojo's sort of pain uh and uh hatred of these enemies but i did a really good job of making you care um and making you feel the claustrophobia that gojo was facing as well it's a really good arc i don't know why people aren't watching it so as speaking as somebody who didn't watch it <laughs> i've watched the first <laughs> i watched the first season twice i've seen the movie loved all of it and then just didn't watch mm-hmm. this season for various reasons yeah is, you've been busy man i yeah. don't blame you <laughs> is, is, the, is the whole season a, a flashback or no first four episodes oh okay which is also really great i love that i love that they've just done four episodes is going to be this back flashback scene and then they're going to move on um, I would also say that kind of hindered me as well because when they got back into like the the current timeline, I then forgot who all the main characters were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Naruto like, and Sasuke and Sakura. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, why do I care about Itadori now? I'm not quite sure. Uh, He's got but... the nine-tailed fox in him, you see, and it's made him very powerful, but also very <laughs> dangerous, and everyone's worried about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but he eats the nine-tails fingers, uh, <laughs> yeah. of which there are more than ten fingers on his hand. Uh, yeah, it's... I think I preferred the hidden inventory arc to the, the Shibuya incidents. 
Like yeah. I know that we've we've talked to like just that now about how that it's it's a very cliched or oh, the the two wild wild cards working together and uh, forging an unlikely friendship. But I I like that it is it's used as setup for just like yeah even to this antagonist we've seen in uh, JJK Zero he's he has a real sense of how much more powerful than him uh, Go- Gojo is like even by yeah. by his own very high standards this is someone who's just yep up there a, a, a level again I th- I think they kind of needed to do that in in some ways that you had to have him seen from one of his peers viewpoint not just from someone who's his junior from someone who was ostentatiously his equal and mm-hmm. for that equality to be yeah that's not actually equal he's he's yeah. actually on a, a, a different scale altogether and for that to set up this trap which is being made for him and what he has to go through to get past that because when you have a show which is just about someone who is incredibly strong then it's the fact that they're strong ceases to have any meaning it's it's how they have work within constraints and they set up interesting constraints for him although i'm generally against flashbacks i think this flashback was important and did a really good job of setting up the subsequent arc and that's what a flashback yeah. should do it's it's it's, yeah. it's did its job perfectly it's it, it's it, not just an indulgence it was Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's also nice to see Ghetto and Gojo having these two same views on humanity, but them going in different directions, I thought was really good and, and really powerful and strong as a, as a conceit, um, seeing that they both have agreements that the human, humans are weak and they need to, like, well, one per, Ghetto feels that he should awaken them to their weakness and to the spirit world, whilst Gojo feels he should protect them. And, and you also see Gojo going fucking Super Saiyan uh, and losing his mind. It was good. Like It was a great flashback. Yeah, it was him, a, him, Exactly what you want. You want to see the enemy's viewpoint. You want to see Gojo evolving as a character so that when you get to his Shibuya arc, his opinions of humans are different than everybody else's opinions of the human race. He does view them as lesser people, but he views them as lesser people that he needs to protect. Yeah. I, I think a, a part of that, why that works, because that's quite an extreme viewpoint, obviously, is is that you basically get a scene where, as you say, where he become almost becomes too much for himself, where he, mm-hmm. he essentially overloads, like... Yeah. And we also get to meet uh, Megami's his dad, which is... He's 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 such a good character, uh, uh, Toji. Yeah. Just like you, you talked last time about him in the betting shop, and and this this him just being like, oh, I'm down on my luck, and oh, just like this this sense of someone with so much talent just wasting it because he's spiteful and resentful of of the impositions put on on him, and how he he essentially. Yeah, at the end, just goes. Oh yeah, by the way, I've got a kid. Uh, look after for him for me, and it's like, oh, did you earn that? I don't. I don't think you really. You, you did earn our our sympathy after being a, a psychopathic killer for four episodes, but <laughs> nevertheless, uh, it turns out you're the, the dad of our one of our favourite boys, and so I guess guess we got to be sympathetic for you now. Um, yeah. yeah, I. It's good. I, I don't think there's much more to say apart from Jujutsu Kaisen is a solid shonen 
manga that really knows how to land its punches. So does, in a way, the other show we're watching, My Happy Marriage. <laughs> kind of. Because <laughs> marriage is like a punch. <laughs> marriage, well, apart from they don't get married. This is the thing that really bothers me. None of them, they're not married by the end of the first season. I'm marriage failed. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah I, I i didn't hate this i couldn't say that i was like enthralled by it but i enjoyed it every time it came on uh mostly because me and mids would just sit there and kind of shit talk at it because <laughs> uh it is a bit dumb but were you sh- I... sort of sh- shit talking at, at mio's uh passivity or or just how or just the the general contrivedness of it at times yeah everything just like <laughs> mio being like a, a sad sack kudo mm. being like too fucking up himself and then all the supporting cast just not helping apart from yudie which is the best character is the old granny who looks after her um it was fine i don't feel that the magic would have been necessary yeah that was that was my biggest problem because like i I'm one of the few people who watched like uh uh Taisho Otome Fairy Tale uh mm-hmm. which I and you know it you know as a show that's about a girl getting like sold to a guy to be his wife and then them you know building a life out of that setup that this show like I I thought it was going to be you know that sort of similar thing where you have this sort of like you know, the culture is changing around them. You have the old ways clashing with the new ways. You have like the politics and everything else. And like, there's enough there already that you could just take, you know, tell a grounded story. Mm-hmm. You know, you could, you, you could make her a lost princess or whatever, but then you layer on top of it, the supernatural element. And that really left me cold. Like all of that stuff was, it was so like, I don't know, it was just so generic, so uninteresting. Like, there wasn't really anything on that side of the show to really pull me in. And mm-hmm. because the show was primarily concerned with being a romance show, that even when it was like, oh, you know, these are the grotesqueries that were released from the grave and blah, blah, blah. And, and the whole time I was just like, none of this is important. Like, obviously, this glasses yeah. guy, like, knowing about her dreams is more important. Like, can't we just stick with that? Can't we? Like, I like you know, the slow life element. I like the, you know, the Pygmalion element that of like, you know, Mio being taught how to be a normal person. I liked, you know, like, you know, in big scare quotes, the element of the, you know, the abusive relationship that she had with her stepsister slash, I guess, half sister is the, you know, you know, the, the jealousy and the insecurity on that side. Like, you know, there's tons there already to be interesting without, this extra element which yeah like it was really unfortunate so have either of you two watched fruit baskets nope no because <laughs> i i think i i th- i really he was struggling like you to understand what where all th- this need for su- supernatural gilding of this story came from because you've you've got like Oh, these mystic bloodlines, and and they and they're almost like a metaphor for society, but also they they're just society because they're, they're in the the show that the people who have them have are 
it's just wealth wealth and class and they're just directly overlaid one on one on one and it's like okay you you where's your metaphor but fruit baskets was i think just such a a big show within this general space like the, the this idea of um the, the Zodiac as metaphors for how people are cast into a role by an accident of birth and how, like, over time, the mismatches between personality and desires create foster resentment and depression within that. And I think that's, that was a for the many flaws of Fruit Baskets and it shares some of the... Uh, the the abusiveness and violence like that 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 first ep- I think it was episode it might be uh, uh, the episode where she's kidnapped by her her family in yeah, uh, Happy five. Marriage and that's a pretty horrible episode mm. although although I should say that like whilst that was not a nice quote unquote nice episode it was also quite funny because they they wanted to, instead of like beating her they threatened her by cutting her kimono like oh dear mm-hmm. like that made me laugh really hard <laughs> like I, I think this is the the feel i had of the show is it was like it was trying to like raise the stakes but then do it in a really low stakes way by like cutting a kimono and then but they're it, like that's not gonna work let's beat the shit out of her like yeah. <laughs> i was like why did you start with that <laughs> but it, but in a show like but it's, it's like what duncan was saying that they're in fruits basket there is a connection between the the fantastical element and the the human element whereas in this yeah. it's just you know this is a normal world but also there's ghosts and magic and which have no real like connection to the characters themselves so like in a show if it was completely grounded you know, the symbolism of the, you know, the kimono being threatened directly as a metaphor for, you know, her attachment to her new life and her, you know, readiness to see herself as a full person, like, that would be effective. But at the same time, you also have her, you know, fiancé outside of the room that she's being locked in, you know, burning the place down with, like, fireballs and stuff. It's like, there's just, like, this (laughs) this big mismatch. And I I think it's, honestly... This is like, you know, it's it's a cop-out, but I think it's a fair one that this is a light novel adaptation and you have to have shit like that to stand out and survive in that cutthroat market. Like there has to be something to like pull people in. Uh, yeah, I <clears throat> I like the thing that really, I think, kept me interested was I like that it was set in the Taisho era Japan. Um, that's sort of like pre-World War II era mm-hmm. of Japan where there's like, some future tech there's some modern tech but kind of not um i like that and again i didn't like the grotesquery stuff at all that felt really needless yeah um and sort of as a way to have kudo all of a sudden need daimori's help it didn't feel forced but it, it felt i don't know random and unnecessary as opposed to just them talking it out um there's 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 a, a trope of in these which is is like that that the heroine has to both be saved and be a savior in in a strange way. It, it, she's almost got to passively save someone just by uh, opening up to them. It's 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 the, it's the system which screws you over, but it's it's your your fate will save you. Your your fated connection with someone and and them human bonds will ultimately leads to your redemption. I felt like there was like so much going on here with like how she could have been born into this privileged family, this family who see themselves as like the secret guardians of everything in Japan. And yet she ends up outside that and she ends up 
orphaned and abused. And then this final arc is her sort of reintegration into this this elite family. And it feels like like that doesn't need to happen. Like her her growth as a person should be enough. She shouldn't be needed to be revealed like oh actually you're part of of, of the, the holy bloodline which has protected Japan for centuries like that's 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 not not what we need as a, as a resolution for what what where Mio finds herself mm, worth it's yeah. not as like any protector of any mystical thing it's just as yeah I'm a person who's worth uh, being mm-hmm. cared for and caring for her others and like that yeah. should be enough Unfortunately, it does, it does not have the faith in Mio's story to do that. It has to have all this other yeah. stuff on top of it. I, I, I like I Mio as a main character. I like all of the characters I enjoyed. Um, I, I, I couldn't say that I explicitly hated stuff. I would also say in the production side, like the grotesqueries were only one enemy type until like the very, like the one big battle in his brain. I think, like, in fairness for a romance anime, you can't say, like, by romance anime standards, that was bad action. Like, it had some pretty, mm. pretty good action. Like, as much as we may say, like, it's absurd that the, she's rescued by her, her husband to be literally burning the estates that she's been held in down around her. That was still actually really well animated. Like, that was good pyrotechnics yeah. and uh, telekinesis is battling and... Uh- I don't know it was good it was good like it was good after effects it was good cg <laughs> after effects i i wouldn't say it was necessarily like knockout stellar great but it was it was passable i think it, it felt... was i think it was technically excellent but i just don't think it was a very cinematically adventurous if you, if you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. it yeah, all agree, looked yeah. looked perfect but you just never got like as we talked about JJK a lot of times, like you'll just get these cuts out of nowhere, like in this latest episode where Gojo's just like rushing through the the crowd, and you're just getting these these shots as he's moving through people and all mm. all that stuff. But it was it was it never had a really face plant moment where the animation was just terrible. It was all at least seven or eight out of ten all most of the time. There's never That's any. Too high. This is That's, the, it's like six or seven, not seven or eight. But I don't know. I think it, I generally think it was beautiful throughout. Um, also, it was a manga. F- it was a manga first. Like the manga front cover is fucking gorgeous. I wish they'd gone with that art style as opposed to this kind of like middle road medium. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what it is? Yeah. You know what a show that is inexplicably beautiful because it's got the insane pervert bonus for production values. That's Mushoku Tensei, the jobless, yeah. <laughs> the jobless reincarnation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. uh, we're back here again. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I need to get. I think this is going to be my next gym anime after I've watched. No, Andy, <laughs> dear God, no! Fucking <laughs> hell, mate! I watched no. Go I mean, as, in the gym. No, no. As, no, as long no. as you can't hear what they're saying, it's it might. You, he might be able to get away with it, but definitely, Duncan. I believe you were on point with this one, so take it away. <sighs> like my big thought about out this season is like. Is it a good thing? Is it a strength or is it a weakness of the show that one with one episode to go, I was like, I have no idea how this is going to land. Is this going to be just like total wish fulfillment or is this going to actually be something which reflects the arc of this character? And it kind of was both. He kind of <laughs> face planted and then picked himself up miraculously and, and sort of like stood like nothing had happened and, and owned it. And 
that was just not what I was expecting. Because Jobless Reincarnation has an extremely flawed main character in Rudeus. Like, mm-hmm. he starts out with no sense of self-worth. Earth. And the f- entire first season is, is about a transition from him being an emotional child who has to grow with the help of others to a ending, which is him immediately being knocked back into himself. All his growth just immediately kicked out from under him with a, someone who had extreme trust issues thinking that he is betrayed. And, and that's the, and that's a very important thing that not necessarily that there isn't a reason that the thing happens to him or that he was betrayed, but him thinking he is betrayed. Mm-hmm. That that's a and this entire season so far has has been about whether he's capable of rebuilding himself without others, or if he is still dependent on others to help him dig himself out. Like has that self worth persisted or is he back to stage one? Like can he actually take responsibility for his own actions and since it ends up with him proposing marriage i guess if <laughs> as long as your sense of morality is just that of an etchy manga then yes he he does take responsibility it's just it's just it's a difficult watch at times because his romance in this is basically his childhood friend, uh, Sylphie, and they have a very codependent relationship. When they, they're separated by this uh, disaster which happens partway through season one, and he hasn't seen her for essentially six or seven years, so from being like childhood friends to young adults. And this whole season has rammed home the fact that she has hidden her identity from him because she is so completely terrified of the idea that he won't recognize her and that she won't be as important to him as he was to her. And for them to slowly grow together again over the arc with her knowing who he is, but him not knowing who she is because of a contrivance which is is basically superman glasses it's it's one step step away from that yeah she's wearing dark glasses and, and her, her hair has been dyed a different color you should know man seriously it's, it's the clark kent thing but nevertheless they clearly develop feelings for each other again independent of that but i i still feel like it's just this this real feeling that even though he's they're now apparently going to get married that any relationship where someone is so heavily dependent on the other is not going to end well and we've got another half season to find that out uh, next year mm-hmm. and part of me is like are you going to own that are you going to own the fact that this is and that he's done what he, he's done what he thinks is the right thing he thinks he's in love and so he's going to he's going to get married he's going to try and be stay with this person and not do what not abandon her like he was abandoned he's going to he's going to try and be do the right thing and but does she want someone who's doing the right thing or does she just want someone who wants to be with her and like that's a question Mm -hmm. um and i don't know if it's got the courage to actually address that (laughs) so i've i've watched again you know I'm a fake anime fan. I watched the first yeah, series of, of, of Jobless Tensai. I have not watched the second season yet. Did you watch first arc or the the, the whole 20-odd 
the whole the whole the, all two cores like i i was caught okay, up until okay, yeah. what was released here and what i found mm-hmm. remarkable about the show is that it really leans into the fact that the main character rudius he was like you know he had reasons for it but he was human scum in his life oh yeah and then he was you know sort of stayed that way and had sort of the the character growth as he grows up you know in his body having all this power but then having you know again like you were saying he is a guy who has heavily intellectualized his own sense of morality to a point where he will you know he will delay helping somebody so that they're in a worse place to be to, to get them to be more in debt to him he will you know find himself on the wrong side of the world you know teamed up with this like extremely powerful guy and be like okay this is a great opportunity for us to like you know grind for a while get some fame get some money and then you know and then he's confronted with the consequences of those of you know everybody in his life who has been affected by the same things that he has but having a much more grounded and raw visceral reaction to those things and him realizing that, Oh shit. Like, you know, when he, when he recover, you know, when he meets up with his dad again, who has, you know, he's been looking for all of them for, you know, the whole time since they, you know, there was this, this mana explosion that, you know, randomly teleported a whole city's worth of people all over the world. And so it's this like, you know, this, this, you know, global catastrophe that has, you know, it's killed millions of people or thousands of people. And, you know, disappeared more of them you know lots of those people have ended up you know alone and isolated and in like terrible conditions and you know needing rescue and everything else but you know rudy is because he happens to have you know these magic powers that make him super powerful you know he's teamed up with all these like hyper competent people like he you know was in a place where he was you know having fun you know i'm an adventurer i'm independent you know i'm having a good time you know i don't Mm want to waste this and then being confronted with you know oh hey by the way maybe you should actually think more about other people and him sort of collapsing back in on himself. It's, it's, it's a show that really, really, really wants to have its cake and eat it too. And it's really, it's, it's so, it's, it's so difficult to say that it is a good show in, in the same way that like Monogatari series, it's, you know, this, (laughs) you know, this main character who is explicitly a pedophile, explicitly a philanderer, explicitly, you know, a borderline psychopath, but having, you know, the show having these like actual things to say about human relationships and the human condition and also just, you know, being beautifully rendered, you know, at the same time, like it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a great show, but if, if you're, you know, if you need your media to like be explicit about, you know, this is a bad thing to do and you shouldn't be this way, then it's, it's going to fail on that front because I think Mm. it is like, like, you know, 99% of the, of anime, it is, you know, it still exists within a somewhat reactionary, like milieu and it's you know it has some like basic problematic elements of like you know it has you know you know gender roles and things like that and you know the idea that like you know power makes you you know inherently better than others is you know those things sort of like exist within the sort of like the background noise of it's not really questioned. Like I, I, I find it very similar to Goblin Slayer where, you know, it's got, you know, it, it's sort of, it's, it's, you know, it's bad people who think of themselves as good people imagining a world where, you know, 
their instincts are rewarded. Whereas I think the show does a better job of sort of like kicking the chair out from under that a little bit. Yeah, when when you say he he's reward, his instincts are rewarded. Like that chair is definitely kicked under uh, under from him pretty pretty heavily at times. But also, there like every female character he runs into falls in love with him. I believe, I you know, I think it was uh spoiled by john for us a few years ago that he ends up with like multiple wives like basically every character you know he's going to end up with a harem you know all of that oh, stuff dude, is going to happen harem ending is he yeah like it, you know on one you know this is not a show about deconstructing this guy it's a show about this guy just having these adventures and you get the sense that like you know you know there's the weird god that has put him in this situation and they've start, they were hinting at it in the first season. I don't know if it's really come up again, but you get the sense that he's being set up to be the next like world threat of like you know like the the, the next Mao that will you know threaten the world. And mm. it's you know and the and that's why this like weird man god is giving him these hints that put him in puts him in these situations where you know he'll be built up and then smashed down to the ground and built up again and smashed back down. So eventually we're going to get to that payoff and it's going to be, I think quite good, but getting there and, you know, seeing what the show permits itself to indulge itself in, you know, without the pushback that you would expect, it's like, eh, it's kind of hard to like recommend this to anybody, but it's also, it's interesting. It's like, it's, it's still like, it's it, like I said, it, it's a beautiful show. The writing is good. The characters are interesting. There's a genuine sense of peril because you do not know yeah. where this, you know, where the author is going to go with this because, you know, this is not a guy who is interested in telling you a stock story. Like this is the guy who wants to delve deep into the dark sort of like griminess of otaku culture and the, the tropes of this genre and also just seems to have something interesting to say about it, you know, again, like Monogatari series, like Nisio Eason. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, this insane show for perverts is actually quite good. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, it's just culture at large just has a huge problem in, in dealing with protagonists who you are not supposed to want to be. Yeah. The, the the message of of the show should never be you want to be rudeous you sh you should not you can sympathize with him like that's that's normal that's human but you shouldn't want to be him because mm -hmm. he is he even he's learning what he does is not good and that yeah. there are reasons that people don't do these things i th think the art with with paul uh, him him meeting up with paul is kind of like a really good explanation of why the whole murder hobos trope in D&D is is bad because mm -hmm. like while well, uh, the the murder hobo party is off just having fun killing monsters the the, the actual people who are invested in the world are there struggling and that they, they have this constant fear that they're going to, they have failed or they have let down these people because their actions have consequences like they they have to they're not doing this just for the loot they're doing or to to become more powerful they're doing this because of other people and rudius has takes a while to get to there mm -hmm. and for this to end with him as i say i was not, certainly not expecting the, f the final episode of this arc to be oh yeah let's get married for him to like basically pledge to to spend his his time with this person to 
to always be with them and to protect them and all that jazz, like that is an anathema to what he, we've seen his reaction to things be in the past. And in this this scene where he's 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 proposed basically one of the friends of Sylphie basically directly asks him so you've proposed to her so you're not just going to run off and start adventuring again are you and he's like no 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 of course not and he, and there's there's enough of a, a a sort of gap in there you can tell like he was thinking like oh that's what I was going to do but no I probably shouldn't do that because mm-hmm. yeah. he's a little scumbag yeah yeah, yeah. And on that note, speaking of little scumbags. Yeah, I guess I guess we'll talk about Rent a Girlfriend season three. And he is a scumbag. <laughs> the problem with Rent a Girlfriend season three is that again you're stuck in Kazuya's head and what I can only imagine the writers like think that everybody, all males are fucking idiots who think with their dicks. Um, which really winds me up. I actually didn't mind this season. It was better than season two and it it raised a few stakes in some serious ways that made you question like are, are relationships that have been telegraphed for a long time going to be cemented is is Kazuya going to get with Chizuru ultimately i i think no because it then happens to magically fall back onto its same tropey rote patterns that you all kind of got fed up with so the the first half of it starts with them having a doing this Kickstarter campaign, which is then successful. They then make a movie, and then Kazuya and Chizuru gets closer. Top of which there is also Yaimori, who is Ben's and my favorite character, who's this newly introduced gamer girl who comes in and just like tells people how it is. Yeah, Chizuru likes Kazuya. Kazuya likes Chizuru what the fuck are you doing? Tries to set them up on like a little uh, romantic date uh, thing in a, which, in a hot springs town, which doesn't go well, um, or at least to Yaimori's expectations. And then it sort of moves on to another arc, which is all about Chizuru's grandmother, who is her only remaining family dying. Um, and it's actually a really powerful episode this um, emotional struggle between her wanting to tell her the truth about Kazuya and her's relationship, which was that they're not actually dating and they're not actually boyfriend, girlfriend, but they are merely like pretending to be. And, and it was really good. Like that was like, okay, this, this show has some serious chops behind it in both its production and in both of its storytelling and writing to sort of eke out an emotional response from me. Um, which also is very easy for me to do, but this show does not ever really invoke that apart from kind of amusement because Kazuya is such a fucking idiot. Then it leads on this really sour note with uh, Chizuru sort of smiling weakly to Kazuya being like, I'm going to be fine. And then it cuts to the next episode of Kazuya then doing what he always seems to do, which is to rent a girlfriend. For, but this time Sumi, who's the one of the other three unimportant girls, unfortunately, um and like go on a date with her and talk to her about it and i'm like motherfucker just talk to chizuru and and this weird thing that he's got where he's like i can't speak to her unless i'm going on a date with her through this paid for application when you've already spent the last seven episodes of this series like 
creating a relationship and a friendship that is past this stupid fucking conceit of paying to rent a girlfriend. And it, it and the way that it falls back on itself is so frustrating and so infuriating that I'm just like, I, I don't even know. I don't even care whether they get together because like... Does the show make it seem like it would be a good idea if they did? Or is it just your frustration with them, which is just like, you know, for, you know it's going to be terrible, but just get it out of your system. <laughs> it's a thing where both Chizuru and Kazuya both know they have feelings for each other. And, and Chizuru also knows that she likes him. But it's it's this feeling of, of Kazuya either not being emotionally intelligent or just the writer insisting on hanging on to this central theme that he has of having a, a, an escort system that you pay for, which doesn't actually involve sex. Um, and I feel it's the latter. I feel that it's the, the mangaka just holding on to this one concert he has because it's the only thing that ele- that makes his show at can't all be, interesting. Can't be just girlfriend, girlfriend. Exactly. You can't. And, and this is what he does, <laughs> the last episode. I think there's one more episode afterwards. If this is the last episode, I'll, I'll be pretty pissed off. But he then, again, like, instead of asking her out, Pays for her for a whole day, which, by the way, is like 70,000 yen, which is about like 600 pounds to, for one, to pay for one girl to, to have like any time with. He must spend like a grand on this one evening alone. Um, bear in mind that he already has a girlfriend, Ruka, who is just absolutely sidelined. And it's, it feels like manipulative and mean that Kazuya is is stringing her along as the true quote-unquote true girlfriend and yeah it's it's weird it's bizarre I, I don't understand why they're continuing this one conceit of the rental girlfriend thing when it feels like it's trying to push past that itself in the story but there has been six episodes of emotional development and this is what's so fucking frustrating about it and it's a shame because it, it's a it's a dampener on an otherwise surprisingly good series and a surprisingly good season three of a show that end started really dumb and funny. Season two was okay, um, and then season three had some high points, but then just absolutely bottled it at the end. I I also hate as a side every every time. This is what I'm talking about when I say that the writer is real discontent for mankind because every time he goes on a rental girl. Girl, rent a date with a rental girlfriend the the background noise is all the men going wow he's she's really hot oh my god what would i do with a girlfriend like that oh oh wow she's so pretty oh she's so hot and and that's all that kazia cares about either kazia doesn't have any interest in chizuru apart from how hot she is and it's not just chizuru it, it's sumi and ruka and even mami as well like doesn't have any interest apart from their looks and this date is fucking frustrating is he's such a stupid little fucking virgin you can't even like hold her hand or move or like help her stretch without getting a fucking stiffy and being all embarrassed about it and i'm like christ alive you're an, you're absolutely embarrassing it's such a disappointment um but here we are we're we're, we're season three we're going to get a season four the manga's not ended i don't know where the manga is i might catch up and read it just to see what the fuck's going on but yeah i I mean, I, I don't know much about Rent a Girlfriend. I do know 
its entire fan base also hates it because it, it just never gets better and never changes. So you might not have much to hope for, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Also, as a, as a, like a little production side, like the quality is really high. Like it's actually, I think, higher in some cases than my happy marriage. Like I think it's got some like really good emotional heft behind some of the animations and some of the the art the shots where it cuts to you know Chizuru crying uh, and like that is quite good. But then it also has this weird thing where you have what they say, but then you also have like these little pop ups of text of sort of like sub thought or sub conversations, which you can't really gather whether that's like just them saying it but not saying it because there's already people talking on the screen. Or so like, is, it, is this like an inner monologue or is this like a, a two people having know. a text conversation and it's, it's never explained? I'm not quite sure, to be honest, because sometimes the inner monologues between are, are talking to each other. And when I say inner monologues, they're like, they're just text that appears on screen that is like written like as they are talking, it just appears. And sometimes it's just one person having like these internal thoughts, but other times it is the two people talking to each other, having one conversation, then this internal monologue text appears, but then they respond to each other. So it's a bit of both. It's really confusing and it's kind of annoying as well because it means that you're then like trying to read like three things at once on screen. I don't like it. <laughs> it's a small thing. I wish it would be better, but I don't think we're going to get there. And we're almost certainly getting a season four. And just like getting another season, Jeff, why don't you talk about Baki the Grappler? Sure. Uh, to shift uh, gears slightly to a show with a protagonist who it has a lot of self-confidence and is not a virgin. Uh, <laughs> Canonically not a virgin. Yeah, there was. A, that's, I, I mean, that's rare for anime. I mean, you've told us why. Oh yeah, uh, there is there is a whole arc where him having sex with his girlfriend is treated like like a tournament fight. Only you know he has the inner monologue of, oh, sex is a lot like martial arts, but instead of doing the thing your opponent doesn't want you to do. You're doing the thing. You do the thing it that does they do want, want to. Do. Yeah, exactly. That is an explicit quote, and that is the kind of thing for why I like Baki. So this is the final two cores of Hanma Baki, Son of Ogre, which is the third Baki the Grappler series. Uh, the first being the 2001 OVA that took I think nine or ten years to fully come out. Uh, then the just Baki on its own, which was the you know. The, the the five most dangerous death row inmates who all decide to want to taste victory. Uh, and now this is like the, the third big arc, which is sort of the culmination of Baki and his father, Yujiro's uh, rivalry. And also sort of the most weirdly metaphysical uh, of, the, of the series, because... I've I've come to the conclusion that uh, Itagaki Keisuke, the mangaka, is kind of the Joe Rogan of manga. Um, <laughs> Fuck's sake! The, so okay. Baki, so Baki got it started in the early '90s, uh, right when UFC sort of like started becoming a thing. You had, and in the series, you had these fights that were explicitly like, you know, here's a karate guy and he's gonna fight a sumo guy. Here's a jujitsu guy and he's gonna fight a muay thai guy and so a lot of that first ova is you know i think 
deservedly so panned it's just being like oh here's a bunch of random guys fighting each other in like ridiculous and brutal ways and the you know this with the, the sort of like the central conceit of baki you know sort of picking all the best bits of all of these different fighting styles and training and doing arcs and you know having these sort of philosophical insights along with these you know you know, developing this like sort of martial prowess, but it gets to the point where the toughness of these characters has to start getting into the metaphysical because it's just so absurd. But the way the show does it is kind of brilliant. I think shonen uh, uh, fighting shows are very preoccupied with the idea of what is strength and what does it mean to be strong? Mm. Like, why yeah. am I doing this? And Itagaki has an answer for it, and it's a very simple answer. And I think the purity of the answer is what I think also sort of informs the rest of the show and makes it interesting, is strength is simply the ability to get what you want, despite anybody else not wanting you to. And one of the things that comes up quite frequently in the show is, you know, the idea that being the strongest fighter in the world is something that every guy, and it's, and it's explicitly every man has this dream of being the strongest in the world but the world will sort of you know kick that chair out from under you and you will have to start developing in a different way you have to get a profession you have to get education you have to get skills to compensate for your lack of strength whereas uh hanma yujiro sort of like the ogre the the strongest creature on earth who can you know kill a dinosaur-sized elephant by punching it in the face the world has never been able to tell him no and so he is just every absurd thing that you can think of is just you know he is able to do it you know he can swim in a river flowing 30 kilometers in an hour he can you know if you slap him it's like hitting a boulder covered in 10 inches of rubber and baki's mission is to beat him in a fight like that's what he wants to do like they've established that you know in in the kid arc in the ova you know yujiro you know he fights his father and then during the fight his mother intervenes and yujiro kills her and he's you know now he's driven by revenge and he's he slowly comes to the conclusion you know in this final season i've you know he didn't he uh, i'm not doing this for revenge i'm doing this because i want to be strong and it's like the purity of this like decision of like, you know, they, they'll, they'll have all of these sort of asides where, you know, he is the only man on earth whose profession is brute strength. You know, you have to, you know, you have to go to school. A doctor needs to be able to use a scalpel. You cannot heal a, a person by simply willing it. You know, a, a police officer needs a gun to be able to enforce the law. But Yuji Rohanma needs none of these things. He is purely brute strength. And the exploration of this sort of concept is so much of what the show revolves around that the particulars, as ridiculous and silly as they are, sort of like all work together in this like very strange slurry that exists within Itagaki's brain. And I just, my, one of my favorite things to do online in general is just to get a load of this guy. And I don't think there are like <laughs> many people who have like more plainly put the inside of their head onto paper as much as he has maybe meaning to do so, maybe not meaning to do so. I think it's also 
like why Paro Itagaki, his daughter, who made uh, Beast uh, Beastar, also mm-hmm. has a very good sensibility for these things because she has been able to watch her father's work and also be presumably a somewhat normal and functional human being, <laughs> and has gone on to make you know some of my favorite anime. And this is another one of those shows where it's you know I really enjoy it and I have a very hard time recommending it to anybody because it is very silly it is kind of tedious there's too much of it like i think there's 36 episodes 36 episodes of son of ogre on top of 36 episodes of the previous season and like 50 some odd of the first so and a lot of it is very skippable and very over the top and very slowly paced and pointless but also just deliciously stupid in a way that i love is it very much something where you have to already be prepared for to and immersed in everything which th- this genre does before you can actually start taking in this the fact that it is being so blunt with it it's it's its statement like as you're saying like just being like yeah this is the people want to be strong just because it means you get what you want like that's so base that's that's just mm-hmm. like eek, eek, on a level which is just like um, he's not doing it because he wants to rescue someone. He's not doing it because, as, as you say, like Baki, like that that revenge going from a revenge arc to just I want to prove that I am I can get what I want. I want to prove I'm stronger. Like that's such a heel turn in most conventional arcs. And it sounds like it, it, as far as you're concerned, at least pulls it it off convincingly. If it... I think I think it pulls it off within the logic of the of the show itself. Like similarly, I really like samurai fiction because it is a high. It's, it's a wholly different mor- mor- like moral framework for a hero to work within. You know, total obedience to a master, like ruthless violence dealt out to people according to this code and not according to any sense of justice. Like allowing justice to creep into your worldview is seen as a weakness. And similarly, Baki has this concept of, you know, this is what it means to be truly strong. This is what the consequences are. This is what the mindset required to get to that point is. And it's not something that I think anybody should really aspire to. Like if I thought Itagaki was smarter, it maybe the whole thing was, you know, a subtle deconstruction of like what this genre is, but it absolutely is not like, this is just, (laughs) I think this is badass. I, you know, I reached my emotional maturity at the age of 10, but my, (laughs) my ability to draw has gone beyond that and i've developed this you know following of similarly stunted people and so we you know i have been allowed to make this genuinely deranged thing for 30 40 you know 30 some odd years now and i just kind of enjoy basking in it's just total crapulence of just it's just it's total self-indulgence and it's you know if you follow along with it it's like okay i can see where this is coming from but if you look at it askance in any way, it's like, oh, this is just genuinely deranged. Like, this is very, very strange. Like, this is just, what if what if toxic masculinity was just all masculinity? And, <laughs> and yeah. again, like, does that make it a good show? I don't know. Does it make it an interesting show? Yeah, I think so. 
Uh, moving on to another show that Duncan insists is interesting. <laughs> so und- Undead, Undead Murder Farce is basically what happens when you take a murder mystery and rack a go together and you just go, ah, these two things I didn't realise were a natural fit for each other actually are. I was talking about this to Jeff before before we started recording and Jeff's immediate thing was, oh yeah, yeah, that's just like the, the, the scene at the end of, of every murder mystery where they're in the parlour and the detective explains the mystery. They, they, they give this like commentary on the story, like that that is the essence of the the rakugu teller like both being part of the story and outside it at the same time and it works really well when they're dealing with the way that the best laid plans of all these people are generally things which are destined to collapse and picking apart those is not a, like this work of of genius it's more understanding others' incompetencies and the farcical nature of, of what they are undertaking, as, as its title goes for. But unfortunately, it also has undead in its its title. And it's, well, Murder Mystery of the Week is a lot of fun. Monster of the Week part is less so. Um, I don't care who would win out of a fight of werewolves and Frankenstein. That That's... that's, that's that's, that's 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 we're back to where we, uh, Andy was starting. Who's going to win? And is it Naruto or a werewolf? I don't know. I don't care. But I do want to know what how that person over there got got, got murdered in a locked room. That's that part's the interesting part, and and stick mm-hmm. to that. I think there's there's been some good mystery shows. Who's anime does it pretty well? Like something like Mushishi back in the day. Yeah, had like. Every, every I don't know if anime so. does. I don't know if anime does do it well. There's a lot of bad mystery anime out there. Oh yeah, there is. I'm looking at you, P. Perfect Insider. Yep. That was trash. Kyoka exists um, though, so your opinion Kyoka is Kyoka does exist, but again, <laughs> that's the, one of the more exceptions to prove the rule rather than. I, I think we're getting into the that or, or the, the the rule of how much of of any art form is is trash and how much of it is good um (laughs) so let's let's not go down that particular alley but i I think like okay anime has the capacity to do it well like it's something where the metaphor of imagery works well where you can convey a mood and the importance of an object with the way animation works like you can make one little movement of someone's face or of an object significant because you have complete control you you don't have to rely on on some flesh bag human to get that movement perfect you can just is to have everything just so and so i think like the very best examples like mushishi just have these very compact stories these stories which last one at maximum two episodes where the the mysteries is shown and the mysteries resolved and the problem is undead murder fast wants to introduce the mystery have a monster fight solve the mystery and you don't need that middle part it's it's just unnecessary and i may enjoy some of the monster designs they're decent and they're they're stylish and the direction's great the direction when i was trying to pitch this to the the group it was like the director's done at least one show everyone likes like for andy it was like okay this is the guy who directed kaguya summer love is war he he did every season of that and that's been an absolute favorite of yours and 
But yeah. with uh, Ben, it was like, okay, yeah, he did uh, Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju, which was like an uh, absolute hit, but hits for, I think, the whole cast. And unfortunately, he didn't direct anything particularly degenerate, so I couldn't really get Jeff in on that. But like, my pitch to, the, I thought there was a fairly strong pitch to the rest of the cast. Um, <laughs> I, I think in the end, like, you sort of talked how you thought maybe My Happy Marriage needed its supernatural trappings to stand out from the crowd. This just feels like a someone's got a good sense of murder mysteries, but is like, you know, it'd be far more interesting if these were werewolves and vampires. Like, why not? But you, it, it feels weird, though, because like you have Durara, which is exactly the same sort of mystery, not murder mystery, but still mystery and intrigue and suspense. Also with supernatural beings. Durara is a very high standard to hold an- anyone to. Like, it's not a perfect show, but it's definitely pretty iconic in terms of, like, it's... it's yeah. It very much... It's, it's whole thesis is, is about this, this central event going on which connects them all. And this doesn't have that strong feeling of connection between these different events. Yeah. That's, that's very much why, was, why to me, he, it was a mystery of the week. Like, I think... Mushishi is a fabulous show, but it's still very much, when you actually look at it, there's not much throughput from episode to episode. There's the occasional bit, but it is very much mystery of the week. And it did it superbly. And this, I think it would have been better if it had had more brevity. And the reason why I didn't watch it is because two of the characters is Lupin Arson and Sherlock Holmes. And I was like, yeah, I'm not watching this. Does it, is it actually, like, does the actual core conceit revolve around a Rakugo teller? Or were you just using, were you just using Rakugo as an actual storytelling uh, point? So, Sugaru, uh, the main man is a, the main man, the, I, I don't know. So you've got three main characters. You've got Sugaru, you've got Aya, and you've got Shizuku, who are like this, the murder mystery team. You've got, he, he's the muscle and the Rakugo teller. Uh, Aya is the brains. She's literally a severed head, which is obviously like, like the author's like patting himself on his back. Oh yeah, I, I've made I've made the brains of the outfit literally just a, a severed head. Well done, me. Well done, me. Like, and he will always come in and sort of set it up for her. You know how how a lot of Rakugo tales will start out with the performer uh, giving an introdu- a little introductory speech to to the tale which is about to be being gone. Yeah, it's given. like a, a little a little in, a little conversational in. The role of Rakugo is just him setting out why this is a farce and then she explains the the miniature of it. I enjoy it. It's it's an it's a it's an enjoyable little taste, but it's it's not the it's not a central theme by any means. Right. Okay. No, because I kind of banish. She still continues to be one of the best things that I'm reading right now, and that's all about Rakugo. Yeah. I mean, going back to, going back and watching the God, I can never do these long long titles in one go. Uh, Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju. Go, going back and watching that is never a bad idea because that was just an absolutely outstanding series. That, like, I, I, oh, you, you know what? I'm thinking of a different one. I'm thinking of that. Uh, yeah, that's good. I'm what, thinking of a different manga. Show again, Rocky Rakugo Shinju is really good. Yeah, what were you thinking agreed. of? I was thinking of the comedy Rakugo one. Oh, Joshi Rakugo? Joshi Raku. Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, right, now we can take a break. Talk about good stuff afterwards. 
And we're back. Um, a little short watch your watching section. Um, only one piece on the bill this time. Yes. And that is... Uh, oh, that's a bad pun. That's a, such a bad pun. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the pun? Am I missing something? <laughs> oh, look at him. Innocent smile on his face. Devilish. Devilish indeed, dear viewers. <laughs> you really lost. Anyway, uh, beginning of this month, I went to the cinema uh, with my lovely wife and we watched... Surely not. Uh, yeah. Not the cinema, Andy. Uh, we, any, any excuse to watch anime in the cinema, I will always go and do it. I will always support the fucking medium I love so much. Uh, and uh, seeing it in the cinema, especially so. So in the cinema, they had the first slam dunk, which is um, a... well. It is a retelling of Slam Dunk, um, which is a very famous uh, manga written by uh, Takehiko Inoue um, in 1990. Uh, one of the... I don't want to say it's the first Shonen Jump sports. You don't want to say it's the first. No, but it's certainly the one that has maybe the most impact, maybe the most sort of uh, lasting... First successful basketball one, like the first Slam Dunk. <laughs> slam Dunk basketball uh we've got, we've got to get we've got we're unsupervised now we've got to get all our british uh -huh. puns yeah in. exactly it's just jeff jeff's left the canucks left and it's just us brits <laughs> um long over the <laughs> i don't know something what what did what did what, did, what does canada not like about britain i don't know i don't know I think they secretly like most of it, but don't want to admit yeah. it. Canada's if, a Sunday. If anything, Canada's secretly better than Amer than England, right? It's got poutine. I mean, the one thing that's fucking it's great. It's true, but I don't like gravy, so I'm. I mean, I'm. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm I, I can't can't really support that, Andy. Like, um, like I, I like the idea of cheesy chips, but like you put gravy not, on it, I'm, I'm afraid you've lost me. It's not cheese though. It's it's cheese curds, which makes it better. Okay. Um, I guess. I guess it's a higher <laughs> class. It's a bit, a bit better than better than a bit of cheddar someone's uh, right, it's dug out in the right cheesy chips in England. What I fucking hate is when you buy cheesy chips. They say cheesy chips on the menu, and then it's that like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it's like cheese sauce. It's like nacho oh, cheese God. sauce. That fucking oh. What the God, that... what the fuck? I, I didn't want some cheese come on my chips. I wanted fucking cheese. I hate yeah. it so much. Like if, if they're going to do it properly, it needs to be a nice, nice blend of mozzarella and, mm -hmm. and cheddar. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. not, it's, mm -hmm. and uh, hopefully maybe a bit, 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 bit of pepper grated on top and uh, a good garlic yeah. mayo to dip yeah, chips. Yeah, agreed. In. And 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 then that's perfect. And what annoys me the most about that is if you want that, you got to go to the crappy fucking fast food restaurants. You can't go to like a medium uphill burger chain. Like a fat hippo, a black bear, like you, you can't get cheesy chips from them. They give you the crap cheesy chips and they also give you those shitty scoopy chips. Maybe they've not made it over to Wales and for the best. Uh, but they're like they're like weird scoopy chips. I fucking despise them. Uh, scoopy chips. Yeah, they're like concave and they're long and they're oh. like ridged on the other side. So is it just like they're they're going for large potato wedges as chips, basically? <sighs> kind of, but they're like flattened and circular. Um when you let's come over, well, no, that, that's just poor. That's just poor. It's, it's a it's a I, poor I, I, choice of chip. Uh, you want a proper fucking like, chip you, for for chips. You you want the the the, the double fried yeah, chip. Right? You want someone, yeah, well, you want it so they're extra extra crispy and uh, 
still fluffy inside. Uh, you don't want some weird. Uh, oh, you so you're going? You like the thick, like pub triple cooked chips? Over. Oh yeah. Nah, man. You gotta. You gotta. I man. don't know. You you wanna like chips? Pint of cider with that. <laughs> Chips sitting in the sun. <laughs> chips are a vessel. Just... Chips are a vessel for sauce first and foremost. I don't want to be tasting no fucking potato in that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why they don't leave us alone. No, it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> so, so the first slam dunk. The first slam dunk is an absolute slam dunk of a good film. Um, I can't say maybe because I went in with very little expectations. Because, like you, and I think maybe a lot of people, I have not watched or really aware that much of slam dunk. So when I went into the movie, I had very unsure expectations of what I'll be getting as far as like a story goes. Mm-hmm. I, I initially thought that they would try and tell the first core of Slam Dunk or, or something to that effect. But actually what it is, is the final, um, it is all centered on the finals of, a na- of one of the national sort of basketball champions. It felt like, to me at least, it felt like the final of the whole manga or, or at least if, if okay. you're talking about like Kuroko Nabaske, Kuroko Nabaske ends at the end of like the national, like the junior nationals for like high school. Um, so it's like the end of an arc. Yeah, it's the end of an arc. And, it, and then it basically hinges on the, the flashback mechanic during this basketball fight to get an emotional idea of the characters that are on the court. And they all, so it follows the uh, Shohoku High School basketball team as this is the sort of the underdog story of them rising to be the to go to the nationals and then eventually beat it a slight spoiler but really not it's a shonen jump uh, mm. <laughs> if they don't win um then i don't know what they're doing but um the interesting thing is is that the main character of the manga is uh a guy called hanamichi this guy with red hair and uh, he's a really, he's kind of like a Yankee guy. He's a really cool, like, he's a dumb character, but he's kind of cool and he's, enjo- he's, he's effable and he's like, you, you enjoy his reactions and who he is as a character. He's a very good, like, main character. Does he, does he really, like, he brings out the personalities of the other people? Like, I, th- I often think that's what a good sports lead does. He's, he's sort of a, something which, uh, uh, like the the rest would be boring without him, and he's the, he's the spice which actually makes it into a a drama. He is certainly the spice for this team, um, but he is not the drama behind this central plot. Because actually, um, whilst yes, I I feel you might be right. I don't really know because I, I haven't really read the main series. It kind of predates uh, us in many ways. Like this is a series which hasn't really had a, a entry put out in the anime sphere for a good 20, no, 30 years almost. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like, unless you were watching sports anime when you were like five or six, then you probably can't be expected to have this as part of, of what you're going to be aware of. Like mm. for a lot of people who are going to watch this film, this is going to be the first one they they see. So it's a really just, that my, my I'm, I'm really interested to hear from you like, 
how they managed to get across a story to you which clearly because you sp you've already you indicated you think quite highly of this that they got across this entire relationship of this group in just the running time of a, a single film where they would normally be trying to fit this in, in like five different series is and i think it is not trying to um, focus on the group as a whole. And this is, I feel, the absolute genius move of, of the first slam dunk. It focuses instead on one of the side characters in the manga, but a very beloved character, um, who is uh, Ryota Miyagi, who has a very interesting and deep and emotional connection to basketball. He has an older brother who, as a child, is an absolute prodigy. He is playing basketball with his brother who he like looks up to and respects and loves. And then his brother dies in a boating accident. And then the main, sorry, it's even tearing me up just thinking about this arc because it's so well done. Um, the main arc revolves around Ryota and his mother and his, also his sister as well and their relationship with basketball as a concept and as as a as a way of as a coping mechanism for grief. Okay, that's not what I expected from this. It's told so well that it's it's making me cry just thinking about it. Like, man, <laughs> like dear viewer, he really is. Like, this is a man who is 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 tearing so, up on on. So on it's it's not so much Ryota. Ryota has this very much uh, a feeling of, you know, he's trying to be out of his brother's shadow, which you would expect. Like his brother is, an, mm -hmm. is a genius at basketball, uh, but he is never seen as good. And so he is always trying to, he's trying to fight. He's trying to break away from that shadow, but it's his mother, mm -hmm. her, her, her dead brother loving it, her dead son loving it, her alive son also loving it and viewing it as uh, a way of, trying to get in touch and trying to talk with his brother in a way. And this is this connection that she can't handle or understand, but she knows that she doesn't like it because it reminds her of like the son that she lost and the son that she couldn't ever see again. It's really good. Um, so like the, the obvious thing is like when you have someone who is, consumed by their love for anything whether it's basketball yeah. or anything like that is both something often we're encouraged to take joy in like wow they found a, a real connection with this thing but at the same time you you know that that person is just moving slightly away they are slightly separated from you they have something you will never have yeah and this at the best of times it it creates this weird sense of someone just drifting apart from you. And when you add on the tragedy of someone's death and the pressure that puts on someone else uh, to follow them and to question of, like how much of their love for basketball mm -hmm. is an obligation. Mm -hmm. How much do you, do you want, to, are you worried that as illogical as it, it would be, like, is this going to consume this person as well? Like, this, yeah, it's... you've lost one person to this thing. Are you going to lose another? Even yeah. if you don't lose them literally, you're going to lose them metaphorically. She sees so much in Ryota what 
Ryota's what she sees in her dead son as well. And there's so, there's this really heart-wrenching scene where she's just watching and she watches it. It's 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 a it's a narrative device where they just show the same shot of um the older brother being in a basketball match and and doing really well and being like oh like this guy's amazing he's going to go to the national he's 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 a genius and you watch you see that scene from about three different perspectives and every time it changes and it's beautiful and it really really hits home how hard it is for like I've never really experienced in any other medium like a mother losing a son and and wishing that that son was there but she can't have that meanwhile this family is fallen apart because of basketball because of her missing son and it's really well done it's so beautifully executed and it's so beautifully executed in correlation with some absolutely incredibly tense basketball match it feels like a real human story that is wrapped up in a manga basketball series and i feel a bit dumb crying over it just thinking about it but there is one scene especially where i will challenge you duncan to not shed a tear over as i've got older i've definitely become a far easier cry so it's i don't think that's much of a challenge Andy. I, i was in tears by the end of this movie like absolutely in tears and and then for the expected win to happen was so beautifully done. Um, I, I can't say enough about this movie, how much I adored it. Um, I would say that it's downsides is there's a lot of CG in it, as always. But what I do feel is really okay. good is that the CG means that all the animation is really beautiful and smooth and fluid. All the characters are always moving and acting in a way that feels like you're actually watching a real basketball match, which is probably rotoscoped. And listening to some people outside, they were saying how like, wow, this the way that they animated like them double tapping a ball or them like them sort of like holding on to the air as they sort of like do a double dunk, like all these insane technical basketball sort of moves and and reactions that I have no <laughs> idea is real, but it so they got the they, physical. They down. clearly had okay. an understand, yeah. yeah. And then the way that they used the CG to sort of paint their sweat on as like, because the, the manga is very well known for like really drawing fuck tons of sweat. <laughs> um, but the way that they, they draw the, the sweat on like an, like an ink brush, like a white piece of ink, like rolling down his chest, like it's gorgeous. It's really well done. And the, the CG you just forget about very quickly over time as it tells like a really heartbreaking story of of uh of this of uh Ryota and his relationship to basketball and i i say if you can see it in the cinema just go watch it because it's fantastic i i do think like the that um control and high dive and the other stream studios have got better at uh, getting the rights for movies in the last couple of years so hopefully you might might mm. see it uh, making an appearance on on the streaming services and getting a bit of a wider hearing as well. Who knows? It's so rare that, um, like, something which can make you cry in the moment, like, that's a, mm. that's a, a strong thing in the first place, but something which can make you cry recalling it, like, there's there's not not many <laughs> things, like, which can do that. Like, for, for me, 
probably end of Heiki Monogatari, which is absolutely devastating. Like the the saddest. Yeah, book, I need to. I need to check which, that out. I need to check like, that out. Like he's just like. I think like that when something really does affect you, like you can't but help. Um, mm. Just tell other. He's like you. I need you to experience my grief too. <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand. Oh, it's so sad. Uh, it, it's fa- yeah, it's it's fascinating. Like it's uh, it's really well told. I would really like when you see an anime which gets grief right. Like it, it always mm. has an impact which where you want other people to see it because it's so difficult to communicate what makes grief feel authentic that it's not yeah. something you can really explain it's like this combination mm-hmm. of how you build and weave things together to just create this moment where all these things intersect and here come the tears and like the yeah the, yeah. the real moments which hit like that they don't need to rely on like uh the here comes the sad music cry now please like they're just suddenly there yeah. and it's like well huh just something in the eye and i I think like (laughs) i think it immediately wants you to tell someone else to watch that because you know you can't describe it which is a terrible thing to say on a podcast like like, yeah go Mm. watch this uh, show because it has this moment i can't describe to you it's completely uh it's completely something you had to be there for (laughs) I it, it seems like it is getting a re-showing in. That's good. So I feel that you could probably Google it and go see it. And I would really recommend I would like to know what you thought. Um, and I, I think the other thing that was really interesting as we were, me and Mids were sort of like drying our tears after the film, um, was I was like, it, it's a really bold move and something I've not seen in an anime re-adaption or uh, adaption to have to not focus on the main character as the central plot point, but to instead focus on the sub characters this, uh, to, because in the manga, Ryota isn't a main character. His story does come out later on. And I think a lot of fans really adhered to it and adored it. Um, so it makes sense to have that, to, to focus on him because it is a, a better story than the main character's story, who is a dumbass <laughs> and his whole, Thing is that he gets into basketball because he wants to prove that to a girl that they can like go out or something. If I remember the first chapters, all correctly. the teenage things. Um, yeah, and and then like I, I think you mentioned before we were recording, uh, the the writer of the manga is also the director and the script editor is the script writer as well, which totally makes sense as to how they were. They had the balls to just completely eschew the main character entirely and just focus on one main one side character in his story, um, which I think is a really clever yeah. idea because it just makes you want to read the manga then to see what the rest of the yeah for for him to decide okay I'm going to direct and and write the screenplay for this like this is obviously very capable directors under him like this is just mm. but this is him mm. going okay here's just this slice of my work i want to go back and explore more like that's that's a uh, like an interesting thing to to know is going on like i think one of the great things of following a, a manga or any written medium through like any comic is that you you see the author grow 
at the same time as you see the characters grow, you see their technique improve, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. see their writing improve, and it it takes a a bold writer to to say, yeah, actually, I've reconsidered something I was doing back then, and like it's it's obviously not it changing perspective is a smart way of doing that it's it's still telling the same story yeah. it's just telling it through a different lens and with a different focus yeah and so there's yeah. there's no 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 red shirts pointing out continuity errors it's it's still everything still aligns it's just it's focusing on that guy in the background instead of the guy in the foreground and yeah he gets to yeah. to use all the emotional craft he's built up in the meantime to to tell a good story about that from the sound of things yeah, and and then also it's worth mentioning like all the other characters get their moments to shine. All their characters get a small backstory, but it does focus on Ryota's backstory first and foremost. And then also just like the the actual basketball game is incredibly tense and incredibly well choreographed and shot to the point where you are like, I was tense. I was on my seat. I was like, oh my god, like. Like what's going to happen? I maybe I ruined it by saying that they win, but who knows? Uh, I I don't I genuinely don't think that kind of like ping pong. I don't think that winning or losing is the real central thesis yeah. of this. It's more about this relationship between basketball, and and it's a relationship that I feel is never. I've never really felt that a show sort of tried to do anything like that before. So it really swept me from under my feet, expecting some sort of just like a fun basketball manga, but then to have this like really heavy hitting emotional arc. Well, you did name uh, you did name yeah. check another series which did that pretty well in ping pong, but it's here's ping pong's a great example. Like ping pong's a perfect like counterpoint to that. Yeah, go watch them both. Mm. And now outro. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, now outro. And with that, uh, we have to say goodbye. We will see you next month when we talk about live-action anime adaptions. Uh, Are they good? Are they bad? Are they at all needed? Uh, Mostly because at least two of us on uh, this podcast have watched the show that is One Piece live-action and have thoughts about it. (laughs) We promise we won't talk about One Piece. The whole world has thoughts about it, apparently. Yeah, um, we promise but, yeah. we won't talk any more about One Piece. We're going we mainstream. <laughs> yeah, we're going mainstream um, now. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're really cashing in them, cashing in them checks. Uh, meanwhile, uh, if you want to write us a question or a thought or anything, uh, mostly about who would win in a fight, uh, Naruto or um, Chihayafuru, um <laughs> <laughs> please write in uh, to keyframespodcast at gmail.com um, also don't forget to like and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and most of all tell a friend but not just any friend but not just uh, oh, what friend would you choose Jeff I would choose a friend <laughs> who has grasped the true meaning of strength and mm. <laughs> <Deep>. <laughs> and wants to fight his dad um... <laughs> Definitely wants to fight his dad. Uh, Great. And on that note, bye. 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 Bye.